Hello, my fellow fallible humans. This is the Red Roof Recovery Show, an addiction recovery program to soften the path of recovery from substance and behavioral addictions. But you know what? It's not just for addictions. It's really about life, because life is messy. Uh, my name is Tanya McIntyre. Thanks so much for being here for the next 30 minutes. I just want to take a moment, though, to thank my dear friend, Russell Allen Scott. He's a brilliant musician and songwriter, and he's gifted me the use of this song called Greatest Bravery. And it's an appropriate theme song for this show, too, because it has taken great bravery for me to start speaking publicly about my addictions to drugs and alcohol. Uh, but like I said, this program is much more than just about addictions. It's about life, the messiness of life, and that includes a lot of mental health illnesses and disorders like addictions. I use a variety of tools and techniques that I'm going to be sharing with you on each episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show. And there are literally hundreds of tools that you can use to manage recovery and life. I think the key, though, is to keep looking until you find something that works for you. And a key for me when it comes to managing mental health disorders like addictions is acceptance. And if you've heard me anywhere uh, for any length of time, acceptance is going to come up because it came up a lot in my own recovery from drug and alcohol addictions over the years. Acceptance is key, which is why in SMART recovery, self-management and recovery training, we learn about the three key acceptance pieces, and that's unconditional self-acceptance, unconditional other acceptance, and unconditional life acceptance. So we're going to be delving into that a little bit today, and I'm thrilled to have with me my Lancelot, my partner, my husband of over 30 years now. Wow. And I still love and like you. Thanks for being here. <laughs> the like bit is the most important. It sure is, yeah. yeah. You can love someone without liking them. I especially like that you've uh, made a decision with the cost-benefit analysis to retire sooner than later. And Well, you're kind of just uh, testing the waters of that retirement and you're prepared to uh, go back to work if you get bored or if you think you if might my, want to do something else in the autumn of your life. If my anxiety about finances overtakes me, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I'm liking your retirement. Oh, yeah, I can tell. It's like a big dark cloud is lifted off your shoulders. Yeah, and I think if I did go back to work, it would be a small company all for myself. Mm, yes, absolutely. Can't do a big corporate thing. Very good. Well, I am so thrilled to have you here with me on Red Roof Recovery because, of course, uh, you yeah. know more than anybody that I suffer with depression and anxiety, and the high anxiety uh, certainly comes with judgment, being judged by others, society, and, uh, you know, that's a conditioning that starts very early in our lives. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you can get over it. Yes, and that's what we discuss on these shows for a whole 30 minutes. We're going to talk about acceptance, and these are uh, the three key pieces for me were unconditional self-acceptance, which was huge. Uh, when I checked myself into a 30-day rehab, we were living in Spain at the time, and uh, you know my life had just fallen apart and had become completely unmanageable after a couple of decades of managing quite well, I thought at least. I certainly managed to 
uh, hold on to a very successful vocation in broadcasting for that time. And we didn't, you know, we didn't lose our house or our finances for the most part, although um, <laughs> that's, yeah. an, that's another show. I worked a lot of hours. But right. Um, yeah, so acceptance uh, was huge for me to get to around myself, for sure, because my addictions progressed because, I think, of not only depression and anxiety that I was self-medicating, but also a very deep self-loathing that I was not worthy um, I was not good enough. And those messages come from very young. And that was demonstrated to me uh, through my nephew, Tyler, who has Williams syndrome. So that's a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects him uh, physically and mentally. Mentally, he's now 33 biologically. Mm -hmm. And mentally, he operates at around five years old. And he loves watching YouTube, the second most watched medium in the world in this year of 2022 when we're doing this recording. And of course, any of you who have watched YouTube for any length of time, if you're not paying for the premium membership, you need to opt out of the commercials after, I don't know, five seconds. But uh, sometimes you have to actually sit through the 15 second or 30 second commercial to watch your chosen video. So Tyler, when he got an iPad for Christmas one year, uh, his mom gave him one hour to watch YouTube. And when he returned from that hour of being exposed to these 15, 30-second uh, advertisement messages telling us that we're never good enough until we go out and buy something or take something to feel better, uh, Tyler came into the living room to announce that he had to lose weight and remove all the hair from his chest. So those are the messages that we are getting when we're five years old. And, uh, you know, as some of the big sociopaths of our history have said, give me any child until they're seven and I will make the person, the adult. I will shape the adult. So those first seven years of life are, um, you know, paramount in how we develop into adults, for sure. But that doesn't have to come and carry on into your adult it yes. doesn't have to, but it certainly learn. does because, you know, those messages then are underlined through our, our conditioning in so life what, and so what peers the, and would the, the type of addiction and social conditioning have the same chemical effect? When you're liked by someone, do you get the dopamine hit or if you're accepted by for looking good or buying something or doing a society perceives the right thing or to be accepted do you get the dopamine hit the same as you do when you as you said before well that's an interesting i mean i think that's probably another show as well because this dopamine reward axis is also a crucial component of addictions as we're i mean we're learning more and more about addictions every year uh you know what we do know right now is that it's a complex condition nobody can really give you a, a Def a complete definition of addiction because it's changing all the time. But um, I think what's starting to evolve now is, you know, we've got like 80 different chemicals running around in our brain. And dopamine uh, is the motivation chemical. And when we repeatedly do uh, behavior or take a substance, we're popping up those dopamine levels to abnormally high levels that aren't sustainable until, unless we continue doing the behavior or substance. 
And then we retrain our brain to now function at that high level. So we constantly need to get the levels that high, which is you know, why I think we, when you get into the heavier drugs like heroin and meth, uh, you, you, know, you talk about people going into primal action from their cravings and urges that push them into primal action, trying to get these dopamine levels to a place where, because they really do think that they're going to die if they can't get their drug. And we hear these horror stories about stealing from grandma mm -hmm. and stuff like that. You know, it's, uh, so I think this dopamine reward axis is a key component of understanding addictions and how we can uh, level off those dopamine uh, ratios to get people to even remain in recovery for any length of time. So how did you get to the realization or the acceptance that you had a problem? Yeah, you know, your your life wasn't sustainable. Oh, man, I think. And, um, and, yeah, I and think what did that do to your self esteem? Should we say? Well, I think uh, being indoctrinated in twelve step programs uh, was good in some ways and bad in other ways because it it created a foundation of accountability and a, it's a great personal development program, but it's also I find uh, shame based. So, you know, you're told that you're morally flawed, your character is defective, and if you happen to fall off the wagon, then the, uh, the routine is that you, t you go back and you recommit and you go up for a 24-hour chip. And, you know, a lot of people after the meetings, you know, we joke with each other that we've got a collection of our 24-hour chips now, and then it, it's getting called the walk of shame. And these messages, thats I think that's why I became such um, a fanatic around how we're using our words, because words are powerful. And even having to label myself an alcoholic and an addict felt heavy for me. And when I found SMART in 2018, after being like eight, nine years in 12-step program meetings, SMART uh, lifted that cloud away for me. It's like, okay, you are not your addictions. We don't encourage the use of labels because you're not your addictions. And I thought, oh, that is such a relief, right? And then my, I think that's when my real recovery started because I was relapsing every couple of years in 12-step programs. And I was watching a lot of my peers not returning from their relapses. So I was afraid it was just going to be a matter of time before I didn't, I didn't return. Okay, so... That still doesn't answer. I know the, I'm off topic again. I do answer that a lot, the question sorry. is, how did you come to the acceptance that your life was out of control? Was there a specific moment? Is there, oh, is, is there a, or is it just a realization that you've gone down the wrong path too far? And is that normal within the recovery? Well, I think you know? in you know once once I made the decision that my life had become unmanageable and I wanted to uh, have a change. It's, I think, staying committed to that change, which is why I love cognitive behavioral therapy, because it teaches us how to retrain our brain and actually do the work to have a plan for that change. And that's what I needed. I needed a structured plan and routine and some tools and techniques that I could use in my life to maintain my motivation to abstain and to recognize that I will never be able to have just one of my drug of choice. 
one drink, one cigarette, one pill, one sniff, whatever. I am incapable of doing that. And I've got lots of evidence now to prove that I can't. Was that hard to accept? Absolutely. That's, yes. That's why the unconditional self-acceptance was key for me. And I watch it now. I facilitate a couple of meetings every week for SMART. And, you know, I kind of harp on about this acceptance piece, uh, much to the chagrin of some attendees, I'm sure. But it's key to come to a point of unconditional acceptance around ourselves, around others, and around life. It's as simple as that. If you, if you can spend 20 minutes a day looking at these videos that are on the Smart Recovery YouTube channel, uh, look for the playlist that's called Tips and Tools for Recovery That Works. Three videos, less than 20 minutes a day, unconditional self-acceptance, unconditional other acceptance, unconditional life acceptance, and you will have a solid foundation for your recovery. So in your experience, which one of the acceptance is the most difficult? Self? Absolutely self. Although, <laughs> although, although, you know, once I finally did get to the unconditional self-acceptance, to be able to actually look in the mirror and say, I love you, Tanya, and you're worth it. Man, that took months for me to even be able to formulate those words out of my mouth because the self-loathing ran deep in my DNA, for sure. And then to be able to look in my eyes and believe it, you know, it's one thing to to formulate the words, I love you, Tanya, and you're worth it. But then to really believe it is something that is part of my morning routine. And, you know, people have asked, well, what, do you really believe it now? Well, some days I'm thinking, oh, got to do a little bit more work. Well, we've spoken about that as well. <laughs> the difference between men and women when it comes to your mm -hmm. mirror exercise. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Like, I think... So the mirror exercise, just to give people a bit of background, who if you haven't heard me harp about Louise Hay's mirror exercise, then let me share it with you now. So you can actually go to YouTube as well and uh, search for Louise Hay's mirror exercise. Louise Hay was a wonderful mentor of mine. Uh, rest her soul. She is the founder of Hay House Radio, and that's her legacy. She was, uh, you know, a self-help guru back when there wasn't even a term self-help guru, and. She said that the most challenging thing that we will do in our lifetime is learn how to love ourselves because from the time we're born, it is literally, figuratively, <laughs> beaten out of us from these messages, right? We have countless messages telling us that we are never good enough, we're never rich enough, we're never smart enough, and we're definitely never slim enough until we go out and buy something or take something to feel better. So... I think getting to that point where this practice of looking in the mirror, looking deep into my eyes and having that connection, putting my hand on my heart and saying, I love you, Tanya, and you're worth it. Whew, there's, that's powerful. Even that touch on my heart is powerful for me. And when I feel love for myself, then I'm motivated to do the work to not screw up my life, to not screw up my health, to not use, to not drink, drug, whatever else I was doing that was slowly killing me. So you found in your smart recovery online and in person that men have more trouble. Yes, men, for some reason, have trouble with this mirror exercise. Um, I can do it. You, you can. So how did you get there? No, I didn't. 
Oh, you can't do it? No. Okay, so. No. See, we're, we're together over 30 years, and I still have a hard time understanding you sometimes, because your tone is so low <laughs> I, with your accent. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, you can or cannot do it? I cannot look you at You still cannot do it, okay. No. I really like myself. Mm-hmm. Really like myself. And guys on the meeting say that. I can, I can go, <laughs> I can look in the mirror and say, hey, put a thumbs up, wink at myself, good job, and walk away, right? It's, it's that kind of cursory glance. You're good, you're good, you're good, you're good to go. Oh, no, I can look at myself and think, but that hand on the heart and I love you <laughs> is like, no. No, no. That, that's not going to happen. Why? Why do you I have I don't a... know. I, I, I think, I don't it, is it semantics? Is it, yeah? You because know, I can say, looking good. Like, yeah, I really like you. Mm -hmm. You did well today. I can do all that. But the, I love you. I can say I love you. I can say I love my kids. I can say I love my parents. But I don't know. Mm. Love. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. And as you said, you, you've... It's mainly... You're not alone, no. It's mainly men that have this. Mainly men that have the problem with saying it. <laughs> so... So I've suggested that, and it didn't come from me, actually. It came from somebody on a meeting who said, I cannot look in the mirror and... Ah, oh, toxic masculinity. Thank you for that. Mm. I, don't, I don't feel toxic. <laughs> Society, absolutely. Mm. Oh, possibly. Yeah. Now, see, this is coming from our producer, Clint, who is uh, much younger than we are. And, of course, probably it's funny how I can talk to people from dif different generations and we're still having the same challenges with life. It's the, the social conditioning that is so ingrained in us from such an early age that we spend our lifetime then trying to get to a point where we can actually love and accept ourselves. It's very sad. Well, I think it's the actual word for a lot of guys that love. Oh, so yeah, I didn't finish. Sorry, they can put <laughs> they can put a picture of themselves as a child on the mirror and speak to the child, right? Because we're all inner children psychologically. I think we've got our inner child that we're always, uh, you know, operating from on some level too. I think maybe. So could you tell a picture? of yourself as a child? Could you do that, put that on the mirror and say, I love you to the child? I think if you ask most people, you could put a picture of you a year ago and, you know, oh, I love that picture. Mm. But to look in your own eyes, I don't know, it seems to be... Narcissistic? Oh, I hear that word so much now. It's quite like, possibly. Where did that Maybe word suddenly get reborn as... Uh, Maybe that's, yeah. An element of society. That, that I hear it a lot. Be. They're so narcissistic. And that might be preventing people from doing the practice of self-love, which is kind of sad in itself as well. Well, I say, I, I think it might be the term love, because I, for quite a number of years now, I really like me. Um, like you say, you know, you're never smart enough. Well, no one's ever smart enough. That's why I read and, you know, try to learn something new every day. Mm. And it doesn't matter if I live to a thousand years, I'm never going to be smart enough for me. But that doesn't mean it's a failing. I look at that as something positive. Yeah. And 
for a number of years, I don't particularly care what people think of me. I care what my loved ones think of me. And if I do something that isn't appropriate or that I'm pretty sure you will say, I don't think you should be doing that. And I'll take notice there. But the judgment of some stranger, it mm. has no impact on my life whatsoever. Something that you taught me, but you've had a hard time accepting. Right, I know. I often say to myself, why can't I just take my own advice? Well, advice is really easy to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, my, my father, when I was growing up, he used to work in places with extremely rich people, minor nobility, and he always said, you're no better than anyone else, but no one's any, any better than you. But when I observed him with people of the upper classes, he was a totally different person, I thought. So he was giving me this advice, but couldn't take it himself. Yeah, and I think being aware of that, I recognized that in myself um, recently when I met um, a movie star who I was a fan of. And I, you know what? I can't even remember his name now. Uh, Ellen's boss. John. No, it wasn't John Lifkoff, was it? Right? Can't even remember his name now. But big celebrity. He was uh, on Seinfeld. Yeah. Right? He was, and I don't even have her name right now. But anyway. Yeah, um, it was Ellen's boss. I, I'm, <laughs> I mean, Julia Dreyfus. Yes. And um, I wanted a picture with him. And I said, oh, this is really, really, why? Why, would, why do we want pictures with celebrities? I don't know. Now that I look back on it, it's like, oh, it's so silly. And you actually went over and asked him to... Yeah, you wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I thought, well, silly, and I feel self-conscious. But 20 years ago, I wouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. But I've come to the realization, as someone said, we all sit down to defecate. <laughs> That's such a horrible visual. But, but it's like the we're all human. We're all, all human beings. Just because the guy is on, on TV, it doesn't make him smart. It doesn't make him any better than you. It doesn't make him smart than you. It doesn't make him as good a person as you. Right. He's just got some type of notoriety, and as we know, notoriety is fleeting. Mm-hmm. So yes. why be? You know, if he turned around and said no, fine. But. The I think the deeper question for me is, why did I even want a picture with a celebrity, right? We've created this celebrity culture. Where did that come from? That's another thing. Oh, that did take another show as well. So it's the unconditional self-acceptance. That's the big one. That I, I kind of just keep on harping on. How do we get there? And a great start is to go on the Smart Recovery YouTube channel, Tips and Tools for Recovery That Works, and look for the unconditional self-acceptance. It's about a six and a half minute video. What I love about these videos is that they're short to go with my short attention span and they contain a lot of great valuable information. So I do harp on it a lot. Acceptance is key to recovery. It has been for me and it has been for a lot of the people who I talk to who are sustaining their recovery. It's acceptance and then maintaining motivation comes next. So unconditional self-acceptance, and then we get to the unconditional other acceptance. That's a whole other ball game, isn't it? <laughs> I'm I, with I, struggle, I struggle with that, especially when I'm driving. <laughs> no kidding. French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, he uh, said, hell is other people. And sometimes I have to watch this unconditional other acceptance video to, um, to just stay at, a, at an even keel and accept that 
what other people do, totally beyond my control. And I'm not going to let it trigger me. That's another word that we can talk about. I'm not going to let it upset me to a point where I'm going to drink, drug, or do other harmful substances and behaviors. Like getting to a point of unconditional other acceptance is really important, that we can't blame others for what we're going to do to ourselves. And then the unconditional life acceptance, because life is messy. And when we can accept life with all of its adversities and learn how to turn the adversities into more helpful thought patterns rather than harmful thought patterns, it's definitely prevented me from going off the wagon. So that's where one of the tools that I've been learning about, the ABC, come, comes in when you're triggered by somewhere else, someone mm -hmm. else. Right. That you have no control over and is an excuse for delving back into your chosen addictive behavior. Right. Because you see the short term, oh, this will alleviate the pain, the frustration, the anxiety. And increase pleasure. So, you know, I, I drank and drugged for one of two reasons, to either reduce pain or increase pleasure, sometimes both. Hmm. Hmm. It's a paradox. Mm -hmm. I know. I've, and everybody's addiction is different, and everybody's addiction recovery is different. There is no boxed program that's going to work for everybody. Well, I've, I've observed people doing their addictions. Mm. And honestly, it never looked pleasurable. It's a bit like watching a jogger. <laughs> Joggers never look happy. I mean, it's doing them good. Mm -hmm. But I personally think sometimes that's a form of addiction as well. Exercise can be a form of addiction, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, But it's an acceptable addiction. Yeah, but that, that <laughs> I, I do this for the pleasure of... I say I, I've seen people doing this now, and it def, definitely doesn't look pleasurable most of the time. And that's another thing about acceptance, right? Societal acceptance. Lots of people are addicted to work and exercise, but those are considered acceptable because shopping, shopping, oh, shopping a, is another is a, one. Is a mm -hmm. huge addiction, and no one calls it out unless you go bankrupt or something. Correct. So yeah, the paradox of life. Unconditional life acceptance. It's like a four or five minute video that can give you a whole new perspective around acceptance. I just love the smart videos. They've done such a great job. Yeah, I've been watching a few. You have been, actually, <laughs> yes. Uh, Lance is uh, now studying to be a facilitator with SMART, so we'll be co-hosting some meetings. That's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, Lance, a lot. Yeah, welcome, my love. I love conversing with you, and it gives me an opportunity to release my anxiety with sips of water. Thank you. It's been good to be here. Awesome. I hope today's episode has helped some op open up some possibilities for you to have some more unconditional acceptance in your life, others, and self, for sure. Uh, one of my favorite people is Dr. Walter Matwichuk. I talk about him all the time. I... Um, recommend that you go to his website, rebtdoctor.com, and sign up for his conversational hour that he does every week. He is an expert on rational emotive behavior therapy as a form of cognitive behavior therapy that I use all the time. And it is very, very interesting and helpful. If you would like to be a guest on the Red Roof Recovery Show, or if you think you or someone you know might qualify 
or my unique residential recovery program, please email me at redroofrecovery at gmail.com. I've authored a couple of books in honor of my philosopher dad. My dad was a single father in the 60s, uh, bringing up two little girls while struggling with his own addictions. And this is my legacy to him. He was an extraordinary man, mindful wisdom from my philosopher dad. And then I decided to do another one, a follow-up, daily wisdom from my philosopher dad. And I set this one up like a journal. So it has some inspirational messages. And I would like you to contemplate each daily message. Use it as your journal. And then uh, set your intentions, your thoughts for the day. My experience has been that the power of words is powerful. And the power of the written word can be life transformational, has been for me. My wish for you is that you live well, laugh often, love always, stay positive, be mindful, and may the force be with you. Remember, you are the force.